Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Every time that we get a chance together to talk, it's just not right unless we challenge ourselves to greater growing in the Lord. This is why we come to church, amen? Not only to hear of God's goodness, but also to hear what God desires good out of us. And how we should grow in Him. How He desires that every single one of us would excel in our relationship to Him. And today we're going to challenge our faith. And challenge in in such a way where I pray that we would leave this place renewed. And we would see ourselves now in a better comparison to the finished work of Christ. We're going to learn this morning just a little bit and converse about how we can grow that faith, go to that measure of faith where we can live in a miraculous walk in the Lord. How many know that miracles are still happening in the house, in our lives? Yes, he's still a miracle worker. Some people stop believing in us. I think the people that don't believe in miracles will believe in them when they need one. But we believe in them all the time. We may not need one miracle today, but I'll tell you what, we believe in the God of miracles. Hallelujah. Yes, we believe he is capable. So this morning, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you this morning as a platform, if you will, for the point of our conversation. Ephesians 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, they are saved. And together with Christ, he raised us up and caused us to sit in heavenly places to show in the ages to come the exceeding riches of his grace. That is his unmerited favor because of his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And now we will go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing i want you to listen to the language he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing i want you to remember the word every and also the word all as we mentioning as we continue to converse this morning who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ as he chose us in him before the foundation Of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him. Isn't the Lord awesome and mighty? The fact that he put everything in order for us to be blessed. Isn't that awesome? Think about that just for a moment. God has ordained all things already. That you and I might take advantage of his favor in our lives in such a great way. He mentions the word that is absolute in every spiritual blessing. When you speak of every, it means everything. I'll mention the word all in just a minute. That by definition also means inclusive of all, leaving nothing out. So we thank God this morning that God has already prepared things for us here as we wait for his return. He's given us all things in spiritual blessings. There is not, let me just first say concerning faith. There is not one individual in this world that can say, I don't have any faith. I've heard people say this, and I know they say it without thinking. In Spanish or in English, hermano, yo no tengo fe. Or brother, I I have no faith. But that's not true at all. Even if you don't feel that you do, the fact is that you do. Every single person in this world that has ever, pardon me, I am so sorry. Everyone who has ever breathed on the surface of this planet, human being, has faith and has had faith. No one can honestly say, I have no faith. Now, We might be able to say, I have no faith in this, or I have no faith in that. We've heard many people say that, I have no faith in that. I I don't have have faith in this, but I have no faith in that. And so we can fluctuate and manipulate our faith, but faith we do have, and faith we cannot deny. Now, the definition of faith in Scripture is found in Hebrews 11.1. 
Faith, then, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It is the assurance of things hoped for. That is a convincing about what you're hoping for. And the conviction, the, the, the conviction, the absolute surety that things are done even in the unseen. So if I can express and explain what this means to us this morning is that nothing we want to see happen in this visible world in which we live. Nothing that we want to see happen tangibly in this world will ever come to be unless you begin to materialize it in your faith in the invisible world. Are you following me? To know that you want something to happen in our personal lives today, if we're going to use the vehicle of faith, we need to first be able to get to a place in ourselves where we are convinced that it is there. That it's materialized. It's a conviction that says, I already have it. <clears throat> Sounds simple enough or mystical enough, either or. But it's a hard place to achieve. Because a lot of us walk around in life not getting what we want, even though we wish all we, we could to be able to have it. So it's not that easy, seems like now, to simply have the assurance, but not get to that total conviction. Nothing pleases God more, ladies and gentlemen, this morning I say to you, nothing, nothing pleases the Lord more than to see us approach Him in our time of prayer, in our time of worship, in our time of reading God's Word, totally convinced in our hearts, seeing through the eyes of faith a complete work that He has done in our favor. That we have total, we are totally convinced that God has all things available for us. There are people, and maybe you and I a time or two have experienced this. I know that I have. Where you become conditioned in your life. <clears throat> conditioned in your life where you've gone through something detrimental, something hurtful, something stressful in your life. Whatever it may be. For so long, you become convinced and, and you become conditioned to a point where... You think that it'll never change. That things is just that way. You, you really, really don't believe that, that whatever you do, nothing will change. It's just been there for a long time. Let's look at such a testimony. Can we this morning quickly? Mark 9 and 21. And I'll just kind of paraphrase a little bit to you. But it's a, a father who had an oppressed son. And he comes to meet with Jesus. As Jesus see what's going on. And Jesus asks this man, what's wrong with the child? And in Mark 9 and 21 and on, you'll find the father responds, ever since uh, I was a child, and many times, he says, ever since the, the, the baby was small, this, this devil comes and throws him into the fire and into the water to kill him. <coughs> We've been going through this oppression a long time. And he pleads out to Christ as he places this testimony before him. He said, is there anything you can do? Have mercy on us and help us. Help us get out of this thing, he said. And Jesus, obviously, seeing the heart of the man as a man who has been conditioned to believe that his situation was one that's permanent. It was no longer changing for him. Jesus said these very words. He says, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Think about that. For a second, look at what Jesus is saying to this man. Obviously, Jesus saw this man was short of faith. That is, he didn't believe that his condition would change. But he said, listen, here's your problem. If you can believe, this has been happening in such a long time, uh, Jesus. Yeah, my son has been going through all this torment. And can you help us? And as if Jesus said, the problem isn't me. You're asking me for help. You obviously don't know what I can do. Because... While things are impossible for man, all things are possible for me. The problem is not me. The problem is you. If you can believe. If you can believe. He says, because all things. Everybody say all things. Are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father was convicted and he cries out to Jesus. He says, help me in my unbelief. Help me. Here's a man who is suffering with his son 
for such a long time of this spiritual oppression. And by what he said to Jesus, it's obvious that he saw no out for his circumstance. And so he ended up trying to ask and find his answer with somebody else. Listen, if you can do anything about this, because this is an impossible situation for me. Isn't it like us many times, ladies and gentlemen? To try to find somebody else who can alleviate from whatever. We kind of release ourselves from that responsibility. This man was obviously stressed and saddened and frustrated in the condition of his son, but he didn't ever see it changing. This kind of situation happens to you and me <coughs> more often than not. There are Christians, and I dare say maybe not go off the ledge by saying that maybe even somebody here may be living your life in a certain frustration and distressing time for such a long time, living in this torment that now you, you've come to a point where just inadvertently, without even considering what you're thinking or saying, you don't think it'll ever change. It's just that way. Kind of like when you tell people about having those who have maybe marital problems or trouble with their children. <clears throat> and they say to you, you know, I'm having trouble with my wife, my husband, my children, my family, whatever situation might be. And they share it with somebody and that somebody says, really? Well, let's pray. Let's believe God for this thing. And the response, instead of saying, yes, let's pray, the very same individual that said, I'm going through a problem, says, well, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. But man, it's been there forever. This is the same thing that happens to this man. This is the same thing that happens to us. We get so conditioned to believe that really not all things are possible. And the problem is not that not all things are possible. It's that we could never get ourselves to the point where we can begin to live a true faith with the conviction to be able to see things in the spirit materialized and believe in God's finished work on the cross. To know that there is nothing. Listen, this is going to be a truth that you need to embrace. There is nothing in your life Nothing, unless Jesus is lying and he's not a liar. There's nothing in your life that is unchangeable and unmovable. Nothing. Nothing. Jesus uses words that are absolute. He tells us in Matthew 19 and 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What does all mean to you? Some things depends on the circumstance. Depends what others say. Depends how good the sermon was or how long the service was or what the revival theme was. No, no, no. When Jesus uses the word all, it's absolute. It means all-inclusive, nothing, leaving nothing out. It means entire, complete, finito. That's it. All things are possible. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that whatever comes to cause you discomfort or take you away from the joy of the Lord... Regardless of how long it's been going around in your life or how long you've experienced it, that one thing that you've grown to be conditioned with is movable and changeable. And I find it intriguing, and I understand it because doctors, we love them and we respect them, we thank God for that, but I'm glad they understand <coughs> their limits. Their limits. This is why it's a customary thing to go to a doctor and they teach you how to appease alcoholism. They teach you how to appease anger. They teach you how to appease jealousy. They teach you how to appease an addiction. In other words, how to live with it. Well, whenever you itch, you know, the guys who are addicted to cigarettes, uh, uh, you can't be smoking nicotine, so let me give you a little machine. Now you vape. It's not the same thing, but you see, you can't get away from it. You still got to put it in your mouth and suck in some, something that resembles a smoke. <coughs> I just saw on, on uh, Instagram the other day, these people that are trying to promote what they're calling a new move. And the new move that somewhere in Florida, some fools are starting up a club for Christians. It's a dance club for Christians with Christian music. 
And every drink may have a name, but it's all a virgin drink. It has no alcohol. And hey, come on, everybody, join us. Florida, it's a new move. We're opening all over the states. It's where young people can go, Christian young people, and dance the night away, and there's nothing wrong happening. And what happened with the Christian community, those who have conviction began to write to them and bombard them with hypocrisy and things that they were talking about. And then they made another video and they say, how come the Christian community is all mad at us? We're trying to help the young people to get them include, including them in some kind of disc arena, but it's all holy unto the Lord. And I wrote to them, I actually did, that's why I don't really like social media, I'm very vocal. Some people say, you don't say, Pastor. I said, isn't it amazing that you just can't get away from it, can you? You just can't get away from your club life, can you? You're trying to appease it. You're trying to live with it. How can we live in a club scene? Oh, oh but I'm going to go to this club, but I'm not going to drink. You just can't get away from it. Being transformed and renewed, as the scripture says, doesn't mean a thing to you. You'd want to somehow include Jesus in your junk. And I wrote to them anyway. Of course, they weren't going to respond, or if they did, I never looked back. You see, doctors will tell you how to appease things. But Jesus said you can get those things out. Did you know that there are no recovering alcoholics that are saved for real? Did you know that there are no recovering drug addicts when someone comes to Christ and is born again? All of that dies. You're not recovering from anything. You are made into a new creature. Away from the addiction, away from the nicotine, away from the club scene, away from the womanizing, the lying and the cheating. All of that is gone. Don't let anybody fool you into, well, listen, at least it's not that bad. And so the Lord has made it and given us faith for us to understand that everything in your life can be moved, changed, <coughs> and changed. <coughs> so that you and I can truly begin to believe and to live in the finished work of Christ in Calvary. You know, Jesus came to do impossible things in this world, ladies and gentlemen. But let me tell you why he came to do great miracles in the eyes of men. It certainly was not to impress anybody. It wasn't because he wanted to become a celebrity newcomer into the city that was doing extraordinary things. Some extra magician guru that came in and said, watch, watch me pull out this rabbit from my hat. He didn't come to impress anybody. He came, ladies and gentlemen, to motivate his followers to believe that there was a way and there was a place and there was a level in our faith when a man can walk in supernatural faith and break the boundaries of impossibilities. Your son doesn't have to be a drug addict all his life. Your marriage doesn't have to be a failure. Your financial distraught and troubles that you're going through don't have to be that way you can have faith in the Lord and begin to pray and take yourself to a place where that faith of yours is truly a conviction that you can see it in the spiritual and God will manifest it in the material that's how miracles work that's how miracles work Romans 12 and 3 says that every one of us in this place Therefore, I say to each one by the grace which has been given me that no one should think more highly of himself than he ought to have, but that he should think wisely according to the measure of faith which God has distributed to him. <coughs> so everyone has faith, and faith is not the problem. So what is the problem for us today? Is learning how to apply that faith. So how do we begin to increase our faith to a place, ladies and gentlemen, where we can get ourselves to a level in faith to be able to work in the supernatural and allow God to move in our lives. When we can begin to see things truly happen in my life and in your life.
How do we do that? The problem is not God. The problem is not faith. The problem is us executing that faith and maturing that faith in God to be able, because the Lord has already prepared that plateau. He said, for him to believe, who believes, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. So number one this morning, write this down. Some of us really need to learn these very simple, basic principles. Number one, disregard your reason, your logic, your humanity in working things out. We are a very creative people. God has given us all a good brain. We can articulate things. We can work things out for ourselves. <coughs> I've heard people say, work it out for yourself. You don't need to include God in this. Don't be so dependent. Don't be so dependent. You see, our reasoning is a very strong element in who we are because we're quick thinkers. If you see something, you respond automatically. You have answers in your head. And all of that, that filters into our faith in the Lord. If we're not careful, if we are ever going to get to a level of faith where we can get to a place where there is true conviction that God can, we must release ourselves from thinking we can help. How many know that God doesn't need any help? He doesn't need any help. If we can see the answer, we can help get it. But how many know that faith is not by... Yes? Faith is not by sight. Faith is by looking at the finished works of Christ in the invisible spiritual world. Unless we start moving our hearts and our minds and our thoughts in, in God's capabilities and release Him from having to depend on ours, God will never be able to do miraculous things in your life. Because we'll always try to give God the answers on how to do things. Lord, you know, you can heal Him if you just, come on, just give Him some Tylenol. And what if God said, I don't want to give Him Tylenol. Well, Lord, I know he'll heal if you'll just get into the surgeon and they can do this operation. Well, what if I don't want him operated? Leave your ideas out of it. You're trying to manipulate the hand of God to work under your circumstances and your ruling. Oh, I know that, man, if God would bless him this way, that guy would truly be blessed. How do you know who would really bless the individual? You see, our reasoning is very dangerous. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need us to figure out how he did it or why he did it or what he used to get it done. He is God and he is God alone. I, I had the church this morning. Guys, would you put Job 38 on the screen, please? Let's read a little bit. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is, that, uh, who is that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? That's an argument in itself already. That exactly proves what I'm trying to tell you. Who's trying to tell me with whatever you have to say, who wants to change my plannings? Who's smart enough to do that? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me, he says to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were, you, uh, on what were its footings set? Or, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped uh, in thick darkness. When I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. And he goes on. Read the whole chapter. <coughs> you want God to put you in your place? He'll put you in your place. That's the argument with God and humanity. Where were you? Oh, you're trying to tell me what to do. 
I see. Tell me, what's holding up that star? Well, he says to Job, I'm going to question you. Brace yourself. Gird your loins. If you're man enough, answer me. Because sometimes we have to be told by God, I don't need your help. Because the more we try to help God, the more we trust in Him. You understand that equation? The more, have you ever tried to help someone do something and he stopped like, well, go ahead, man. Can you do that? Yeah, well, let me do it. Well, yeah, but you have to. Well, do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? And sometimes we're with God that way. Lord, I want you to do something, but we cannot get our hands out of the clay. We cannot get our hands off the work we want done. Remove yourself and start having faith in what God's capabilities are. Remember, he can do all things. Remember Isaiah 55 and 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. And he goes on and on telling us, listen, the point being, if you want to move to greater faith in me, then do what John the Baptist said. Make me greater and you become less. Leave your reasoning and your logic and your smarts just where I had them. Because this is supernatural and I work in the supernatural. I need the level that you need to grow is not the level to come and help me physically to get things done. I don't need that kind of help. What I need you to do is believe that I can. And if we wonder why sometimes miracles don't happen, I think the question is not that what happened to faith. No, no, what happened to us? Do we believe that God can? I was reading out of Matthew 8 and 23, and I'll be a little bit quicker because of time. <coughs> I'll paraphrase, and this is when... <coughs> Jesus tells the men to go across the Sea of Galilee and the storm rises up and it begins to beat up on the boat. Remember that story? We've preached on it a lot of times. And Jesus goes down to sleep and, and he's resting and everybody over here, even though they were all expert fishermen, they're all thinking they're going to drown and this go, say, man, Jesus downstairs sleeping. He doesn't even care for us. What's going on? So they run down to the bottom and, and they... Hey, we're going to perish, don't you care? And Jesus wakes up and he rebukes them gently. He says, oh, man of little faith. What's wrong with you guys, man? He could have just simply taken off on the fact that they were all fishermen. Oh, you're a big fisherman. But he didn't. He said, oh, man of little faith. And turns around and he speaks to the storm. And we know the story. He calmed the storm. But what really intrigues me is the response of the men. The men should have at that moment, it would have been appropriate for them. The moment they saw Jesus calm the storm, they should have fallen on their knees and worshipped him. Amen? Just worshipped him and said, wow. And just, man, you are worthy, Father. But the first thing they did is, man, how did he do that? What kind of man is this? That even the winds obey him, the scripture says. Kind of like us when we see someone get a miracle, the first thing we ask is, what they give you? Who was the doctor? What medications did you take? Instead of the first thing birthing in us when someone receives the answer of their petition, is to say, you know, really? Wow. Father, we thank you for the response. We thank you for the answer. We thank you that you did it. I don't know how you did it. I don't even know when you did it. I don't care to know what you used to do it, but I give you thanks that you were able to do it, Father. That brings our faith level higher, and it puts our own personal trust in us to a lower place where it belongs. Who can understand God's ways, ladies and gentlemen? Who can fathom the majestic thoughts of the Lord? Faith is not a matter of intellect and knowledge. Faith is dependent on how little or much you know and trust in God. 
It's not about what school you graduated from or how many times you read the Bible back and forth or how many hours you spend on your knees at home, how many times you come to church or how many sermons you've preached. It all becomes a basis of how well you know him and how well you trust him. That's what faith is. That's what will fertilize your faith to grow and him and less on us. Get rid of your reasoning and your logic. Nobody cares about your thoughts when you're asking for a miracle. God's not saying, well, what do you think I should do? Father, you know, he's got a cancer. Really? How do you think we should handle this? No. Father, he's sick. Do what you can do. I don't know how. I don't all I know is that I know that you can. That's why I bring him to you. Do it. My son's on drugs. I've sent him to all these drug therapy programs. My husband is an angry man. My, I'm going through this. Lord, change him, Father. Work a miracle in their lives. Well, how do you think I should do it? <laughs> I leave myself out. All I'm doing, Lord, is raising into you because I know that you're the one. You said that if I believe in you, all things are possible. Lord, the only thing I offer you is my full trust and faith. That's when miracles begin to unfold. When you let God do what only he can do. Secondly, we must learn how to fine-tune our ears. You know, the Bible teaches us very clearly, and you know this, that faith comes by hearing. Yes? And hearing what? The gossip. No? I thought I heard somebody say amen. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. Something that concurs with what the Lord is speaking. Something that comes out of the mouth of God. Romans 10 and 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What we hear has a lot to do with our relationship with God. <clears throat> what we hear and what we fine tune our ears to has a lot to identify as whether we are truly sheep of the Lord. Not true? John 10 and 1. I tell you the truth, the man that does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. Hearing. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He walks in front of them. That's what a shepherd does. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. <clears throat> they identify the voice of the shepherd. But listen to this. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You hear he's talking about your ears. That is your identity card. The fact that you have good listening. That you've trained your ears to hear the word of God and not the voice of strangers. You know, a good example of a big mess up because of what they heard was the garden. You know the story. The Lord had created a perfect world. He brought his man and his wife and they put him in this perfect world. No death, nothing but blessing. All of this is yours. This is great. Enjoy yourself. <coughs> but then the voice of an antichrist came. And their unbridled hearing, their uncared for hearing, listened to what the devil said, and the garden was gone. Their blessing was gone. What God had 
given them to protect and to keep. By them listening to God's voice, all of a sudden, the voice of a contradictor came and spoke to them. And the garden was gone. The only thing the Lord could ask Adam when he found him behind the shadows hiding from the Lord in embarrassment, he said, who told you this, man? Who told you you were naked? Who told you this was wrong? Who told you this wasn't true? Who told you this wasn't yours? Who told you? Who are you listening to? Just like life and faith comes through the hearing of the word. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this morning and let this be a sober <coughs> awakening for some of us in this place if we need it. Listening can be the destroyer of the works of God in your life. Oh, it's a good place to say amen. Listening. The lack of fine-tuning your ears and listening to junk can be the destroyer of things that God wants to do in your life. In Acts chapter 28, the church is speaking to Paul and <coughs> asking him for a testimony. He said, listen, people have been telling us about you and we haven't heard anything about you amongst a certain people. But we want to hear it from you now because we know that outside of you, there's a lot of people speaking negatively about this sect of believers. Always people around with something negative to say. Psalm 55 you remember the story of the psalmist when he looked up to the hills and he said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and find peace for myself. He had been offended. He had been hurt. But how and why? Listen to my prayer, O God, Psalm 55 and 1. Do not ignore my plea. Hear, my, hear me and my answer. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy. I'm distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. He wanted to go and hide, but that wasn't because God wasn't in his favor to help him. It's because he was listening to someone who's not conducive to his faith. Ladies and gentlemen, let me educate you this morning a little bit if I can in humility not everyone is in agreement with what God wants to do in your life not everyone was in agreement with what God wanted to do in my life close to 40 years ago they knew my testimony they knew where I was they knew who I was how I was and how much I love to do what I used to do so when the Lord saved me the first thing that happens when someone is saved is you open your mouth and you begin to testify. And you start telling everybody, look what God did for me. And God is doing this. And, and, and you found some people like, really? Wow, that's exciting, man. <coughs> Unbelievable. That's great. So what's the plan for your life? Well, I'm planning to this. And, and uh, my wife now, we're all happy. And my children, I understand what mission hits are now. And I'm not going to be doing clubs anymore. And all oh, this thing, I'm not going to be playing. And really, wow, that's awesome. And then there's the other group. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, you're saved, dude. Soto, come on, man. Dude, I've known you forever, man. Dude, you'll never change, come on. Never. Hey, man, por Diosito. Yeah, that's cool, man. We all believe in God, man. But come on, man. Transform, change, born again, whatever. Holy roller. And I have to be honest with you. That man, it was deep cuts. Especially why? Because they were my friends. People that I knew for years. That I thought would celebrate something that God wanted to do in my life. Yet they were the antichrist voice saying it'll never happen. I needed to learn to fine-tune my ears. And the Lord says in his word, have nothing to do with them. Some of you have friends here that have never spoken to you a word of faith. 
but have kept you in a spiritual limbo. Kind of believing and not believing. They have this religious level of faith around you and their friends because they don't seem to be dangerous to you because they kind of don't go to church and stuff. But, you know, they don't cuss and they don't say bad things. And they're not really big drinkers and they're not really big liars. They do believe in God because we were praying the other day because one of their kids was sick. And you, you begin to massage this relationship and it's keeping you at a mediocre level. And no wonder you never see anything great happen in your life for God. <coughs> Have nothing to do with them. That's what the Lord says. Have nothing to do with the naysayers. You don't believe me? Talk to Joseph, the son of Jacob or Israel, depending on what Bible you read. Remember, Joseph had a dream. He went and told his brothers, hey, man, I had a dream. I saw God do this. He said that he was going to make me this. And this is how I saw it. And wow, it was just exciting. And you would think that brothers would say, oh, man, this is our little kid brother, man. He's going to be great. No, no, no. They went through him in a well, counted him for dead. Brought back a, a bloody coat to his father and proved to him he was dead. You want to grow in faith? Then be careful who you share your prayers with. Be careful who you speak to concerning what God wants to do in your life. You have to be discerning. When the Lord called me into ministry, I told a couple of people, you know what? I feel God's calling me to pastor. Really? Wow. Money laundering, huh? How does that feel? Isn't that awesome? Wow. Cool. You're washing the brains of people for their money. Awesome, man. What an easy job. And it tore me. I barely could leave the conversation. And get out. Get out. You'll never grow in faith that way. Some of you have friends that have been around for 15, 20, 25 years. You work with them, but you still won't get away from them. Stop listening to them. And you're asking God for miraculous things. It'll never happen. Never. Pastor, you can't say that. Oh, yes, I can. I can prove it to you scripturally as well. I won't argue with you as a man, but I'll use the word of God and I will prove to you. That when you hear a garbage like that, that's not conducive to your faith. You'll never get to that place where you will totally trust in God to do the supernatural in your life. You think I read a book? I've lived a life, ladies and gentlemen. I know what it's like to be praying over stuff. That I could just never cross that hurdle because I had people around me who were never really believing that God would do that. But that I should always try to find my own resources to help myself. Until I said, no, God doesn't need my help. If he can do it, he's going to do it. And I will depend on him alone. Fine tune your ears. We are told in Scripture in Philippians 4 and 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Listen to these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, the apostle says, put it into practice. You need to speak to people. Who will fertilize and nurture your faith. You need to start sharing your prayers with people. Who will be conducive to that relationship with God. And will agree with you and say listen I'm praying for a miracle with my husband. I'm praying for a miracle with my children. I'm praying for a miracle in my own life. I'm going through this sickness. I need someone to agree with me over this illness. And someone that will say like really well how do you expect God to do that. Or what are you taking. No, no, no. Let's pray. Let's believe God can do this. Let's trust in God. We've got to stay out of his business. Let God, who is in the miracle working business, handle this alone. 
Let us remember where we were when he placed every star. Let us remember where we were when he spoke to the winds which direction it should take. Let us remember who toils the sun, when to rise, and where to sit. It's not me. I wasn't there. Let's depend on him. Fine-tune your ears. Thirdly, don't be wavering. Stop fluctuating. You want your faith to grow? Then stop living a seesaw Christian walk. You make people dizzy. You make me nauseous. I can't even look at a merry-go-round. My stomach turns. But people that have such wavering walks are nauseous to the body of Christ. They're nauseous to God. They're neither hot or cold. You'll never grow. You're having to introduce yourself to God every four or five months when you come to church. You're having to introduce yourself to brothers and sisters every year when you come once to church. You're having to introduce yourself again the next two, three months when you finally did, end up bending your knee to pray and speak to God again. Oh, Lord, by the way, my name is Israel. Remember me? You'll never grow. You'll never be rooted down. You'll never be a tree that is planted by living water. The Bible says that it, it casts its root out. It becomes firm and it's standing. And that kind of tree doesn't have to worry about leaves. Doesn't have to worry about fruit. It's always alive and well. All the time it withstands all kinds of torments in life. When you're firm and unwavering. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because he has stood the test. James 1 and 12. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. <coughs> Persistence is a very well taught lesson in scripture. If we will read the word of God more. We'll, you'll understand that one of the main topics in, in the Bible is persistence. Continuity. Fluidity. Steadfastness. Being firm. Being in one place. Anchored down, solid, firm foundation, not moved. That is a very well-taught lesson plan in the Word of God. And we are told over and over of men and women who stood up and fought the good fight till the end. In Hebrews, you will find that people were firm in the Lord <coughs> and even passing on to eternity without even receiving the miracles they were praying for. But their lives teach us that it's never a good time to chicken out on God. It's never a good time to be wavering. It's never a good time to be fluctuating. Never. The Bible said that a double-minded man of such cannot expect anything from God. He's double-minded in every way. That means you become untrustworthy. God cannot trust a man who can't stand firm. You can't say, oh, God's going to use me great. No, he's not. Listen to me. No, he's not. Because he will not know if he'll show up tomorrow. He doesn't know if he'll show up the next day. It's walking on eggshells. Don't say nothing. You'll hurt his feelings. He'll be gone. He'll never come back. That'll never grow your faith. Never. You'll always be a spiritual child. Remember the Apostle Paul speaking to the church of Corinth? He said, man, I wanted to come and really speak to you on really good spiritual, give you some spiritual meat, but I couldn't. You're still babes. You're still sucklings. You're still on milk. You never grew up. That's an abnormality amongst Christians when they don't grow up. Wavering will keep you a spiritual babe forever. Nobody will ever trust you, not even God. You'll never be able to grow up in your faith. You'll never be able to ask God for great things and God can trust you with these things. Because God knows that you'll be asking him in 30 minutes while you're emotionally 
woken up at that moment. You're, oh, Lord, and Lord, Lord, Lord. And he knows the next moment you're going to get up and walk out. He'll never see you again. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking to you in a mature voice this morning. You know why? Because I know that many of us in this place have true needs before the Lord. There are sick in your family. There are troubles in your life that you need moved and changed. And they've been there for years. I'm here to give you great warning. It'll never change. But I give you great promise. If you do pursue God in trust and in faith, he said all these things can be moved. All these things can be changed. All these things can be transformed. The apostle writes to the church of Thessalonica. He said, listen, I'm so excited to see that you're standing firm. When you find someone who's persevering, you know what that does to the body? It makes people rejoice. This is when people say, oh, that brother, man, that brother has been here. He's solid, man. You can count on this guy. Oh, that sister? Are you going to call her? I don't even have to call her. She's going to show up. These people are faithful. These people are solid. Or you'll have the other group say, are you going to tell brother or sister to come? No, they never come. <laughs> I better move on, right? Those are going to be not tears of worship. They're going to be tears of pain. Remember the story, the parable of the persistent widow? You'll find her story in Luke 18. I'm not going to read it. I don't have any more time. But you heard the story of the persistent widow. The Bible said that there was an, an unjust king. He didn't neither care, believed her God, nor he respected people. And this woman needed justice in her life. And she went to knock on his door. Over and over again every day. And the king just ignored her. Never gave her justice. King, I need my justice. King, I need my justice. And finally, after a while, she was an ant in his ear. He turns around and tells his servants, listen, go give this woman what she wants. He said, I, even though I don't believe in God, I don't, believe, I don't care about the people. This is my kingdom. I'm the, my chicharrones pop only. This whole thing is all about me. I don't care about what this woman is saying. Listen, go give this woman her justice. And Jesus is telling him. He didn't, Jesus didn't say that she said wrong part. But, <coughs> but Jesus is teaching him this parable. And then Jesus, right after he tells him the story, he says, you see this unjust king? Didn't believe in God. Didn't care for people. And look how he gave her justice. He says, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm a just king and I love my people. Not only will I respond to you, and I respond to my people who cry to me day and night, the persevering. Ah, this moves my heart so much. That those that continue believing and trusting, you think I'm not going to respond to them? This guy is a no gooder. I'm a gooder. I'm a good king. But here's the challenge. This is the challenge for Rock of Ages that Jesus said. So will I not give you the justification that you need? If this ugly guy could do it, how much more? I'm the king of glory. I love you. I've given my life for you. But the problem is this. Will I find faith when I come back? Will I find someone who will be persistent with me? Will I find, will I hear, wait, I don't hear anybody knocking. This king could hear nothing else but every day. Ah, uh, try to ignore it. Hey, open the door, give this woman what she needs. And Jesus said, he's a bad guy. My problem is my door isn't knocking. I don't hear that. When I come back, am I going to find people who are persevering and, and calling me on a daily basis so that I can respond to them and give them justice? 
will I find people with faith? People that won't lose heart. People that will stand firm. He said, I love you today and I love you tomorrow. And I'll be here planted. I'm not going to waver. No seesaw. You won't get seasick looking at my life. I'm steady. Your faith will grow. Your faith will grow if you're steady. Let me finish by saying this. One last thing. Something else that will grow your faith is to learn to be grateful. To be grateful. More and more in this world that we live, people are more discontent. More and more. And rightfully so, there's scripture that tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, what I'll read to you right now. More and more people are discontent and unthankful, ungrateful. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, and on the list goes of what we see a lot in this world today. But the word I speak to you about today is ungratefulness. We live in an ungrateful world. He said, Pastor, I'm not ungrateful. I was laughing this morning as I was talking to the church. <coughs> I said, you know, we really don't pay attention to this. And you're going to laugh this a little bit, but you, you better not say you're not guilty of it. Not me. We're so ungrateful you and I sometimes without even thinking about it how pastor have you ever stormed out of the house when somebody's asked you did you eat well there's nothing to eat and you go to the pantry and cans are falling off the shelves I told the church this morning you've got cans in there from 1906 so much food you've got in your pantry you never even opened it. And you're complaining. There's nothing to eat. How ungrateful are you, man? There's people truly right now who have nothing to eat. Mm. Have you ever walked outside and seen your neighbor? And, hey, morning. He's got a new truck. My stinking old truck. Now my truck's no good. And there's people that literally in this world are walking everywhere they go. They have no car. But now your truck is no good. And it's perfectly fine. It's, it's a 21. His is a 23. Or maybe you talk to some other friends. Those of you that like to socialize, yeah, man, we just got back from a trip from, a trip from Alaska. Wow, we only went to San Antonio. <laughs> and there's people that can't even leave the city. There's people that have never even gone beyond Falfurrias. There's people that have never left the city because they neither have food, neither do they have the car nor the finances to even make that cheap tr trip to San Antonio. How ungrateful are we? I wonder sometimes when the Lord listens to our petitions, we say, Lord, I need this. I wonder if the Lord hesitates sometimes wondering, I wonder if I give him that, he'll say, well, it's not exactly what I wanted, but it's okay. Like he won't satisfy us. A thankful heart, ladies and gentlemen, will always flourish into a great heart of faith. 
The psalmist said, I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16, be joyful always. Pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. Ephesians 5 and 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart and to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. I just want you to know something, something I firmly believe that as the thanksgiving goes up, God's responses come down. The greater the measure of us lifting hands and saying, Father, I thank you so much for the much that you've given us. The more the Lord says, that's not all I have for you. Let me give you this. I trust, Father, in you. Even as I wait for this petition, even though we're going through troubled times right now, I give you thanks for what we do have. We do have food at home. We do have shelter from the rain and the cold. Father, I thank you for all these things. We have a petition before you. But God, whenever you want to, because you can, but I give you thanks for what you've done already. There's a heart that God cannot resist. And that is a thankful heart. Just stand to your feet with me this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, I want us to get to a place where we, like the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. You know what Paul meant when he said, I can do all things through Christ? I'm glad you asked. He meant, I can do all things through Christ. You know what he meant when he said, I can do all things through Christ? He meant exactly that. I can do all things through Christ. The Lord wants us to live out a life with a level of faith and trust in him where we with true confidence and conviction can say, I can do all things through Christ. Paul could confess this, but he understood the criterias. And the criteria was that he was going to have to dislodge himself from reasoning. He didn't have to know how, when, why, or what he used to answer his prayer. All Paul was concerned with is that he knew he could. Paul knew that he was going to have to fine-tune his ears. That he wasn't going to listen to the naysayers. He was going to listen to the voice of God. And if God said, I am your healer, that's all I need to know. I don't care if Andy Anderson hasn't come up with a study that will bring answer to that type of question or that type of cancer. My God said, I am the God that heals you. That's all I need to know. Paul knew he had to persevere. Paul said himself he knew how to have much and how to have nothing. Then he goes on to confess, but in all these things, I am more than a conqueror. And I can do all things through Christ. And Paul knew how to be thankful. And so must we, ladies and gentlemen. I want our faith to grow this morning. I told you it was going to be a challenge. But it's a good challenge. Because it's going to bring responses from heaven for your life. So we learn this thing. As I close, we're going to pray. The problem is not that you don't have any faith. That's not the problem in this house. That's not the problem in my life. I have a lot of faith. The problem is me in knowing how to use that faith. I'm not going to pass the buck to anybody. I'm not going to say, listen, you pray for me. Go take, take the baby to this brother because he has a lot of faith. No, so do you. But why does his work and your doesn't? He, he's got, everybody's got faith. Well, let's take it to pastor because if pastor prays, you know, he's got that super connection. His faith works. No, no. No, 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 no. I can't be there three o'clock in the morning when your baby's burning up in fever. What's wrong with your faith? 
See, the problem isn't faith. The problem is you knowing how to use that faith. I pray we learn this today. And I know that if we do today, I promise you that whatever you place before the hand of God and you leave it there, God will look at the level and measure of the faith you have in Him. Not in that. Not in others. Not in medicines. Not in things. But believe in Him. I promise you God will respond to that. Let Him work it out. Stop looking for that bag of tricks. How did He do that? Stop looking for that magic mirror. Stop looking for that plume of smoke that magicians use. He didn't come to entertain us. He come to encourage you to believe to that place. To take you to that place where you can fully trust in the finished work He has done for us. He has provided us all things. Everybody say all things. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.